Good morning to all of you, and I greet you once again in the, in the worthy name of Jesus Christ, the one who the scripture says purchased the church with his own blood. Once again, as I stand before you, I just feel the, the weight of, of preaching the word of God. Uh, true and with clarity. I ask your, your prayers for me this morning as I strive to do that with the power of God. It's not something that, that I take lightly or that uh, any of us ought to take lightly. It's a sobering responsibility. The gospel is, is a word that, that brings light and that brings life. Therefore, it's powerful. And therefore... It's a word that must be shared. This morning we will do what Christians have been doing uh, for well over 2,000 years. And that is we will remember Jesus. We will remember what he did. We will remember why he did it. And we will remember what that means to you and me this morning. We are here to commemorate. And that word commemorate uh, means to honor the memory of somebody or something in a ceremony, to serve as a memorial to something. In fact, this ceremony or this ordinance uh, is one that was begun, was put into play by Jesus himself on the eve of his crucifixion. And there in Matthew 26, uh, verses 26 to 28, we, we read, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so this morning, we remember, we commemorate, but most of all, this morning, we worship. We worship. And so I've chosen this title for the message this morning, Communion, A Call to Worship. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for a text this morning. I realize that this is where Brother Dan left us last Sunday, and it's not my intention at all to try to say something that he didn't or, or anything. Um, certainly there is a lot in this passage that could be shared by many people in many messages, and the truth is, I was preparing this already prior <laughs> to last Sunday, and so I felt best to continue on with my preparation. I will start reading at verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, 
that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was, he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Communion, a call to worship. Now, in the last half year or so, uh, in preparation for some weekend meetings down at Barnwell, South Carolina, uh, I've been giving extra thought and preparation on the subject of worship. And although a message on communion or the Lord's Supper was not a part of that original assignment, I believe that it is uh, very fitting for us to consider the place and the meaning of our communion service in worship. I believe that's very fitting for us here this morning. This is true, although the observance of the Lord's Supper is never called worship in the New Testament. And to the best of my knowledge, the gathering of the church is never called worship in the New Testament. And my point in saying this is to break us of the habit of equating worship mainly with what we do here on Sunday morning or on Wednesday evening or you name it. As though, as though this is worship uh, or, or this is worship and, and tomorrow is not. You see what I'm saying? You see, I believe that, that when we fall into the habit of saying that this is the worship of the church, or the gathered body is the worship of the church, that we put ourselves into the danger of missing the new and radical point of the whole New Testament. And that is that worship is a whole life response 
to the love and mercy of God. Worship is, is something that is not confined to a certain place or a certain activity. But worship is driven into the heart as a matter of spirit and truth. And then out of that, worship flows through all of life. Not just in worship services. You know, worship is about placing value. Worship is about giving something or someone worth. It's, you could say it's, it's giving credit where credit is due. And so at the heart of Christian worship is an inner desire to treasure or to cherish the true beauty and worth of Jesus Christ. It, it's, saying, it's saying, God, you are so worthy. You are more valuable than, than anything. You are more valuable than everything. And because of that, I worship you because you are so worthy. But yet worship is so much more than that. I believe that then flowing out of that inner desire to worship will be a consistent lifestyle. It's one that accurately expresses the change that we say has taken place. You see, our outer acts are a clear indicator of our inner desire. They truly are. And, and these, two, these two things should not, and truly they cannot, be separate. They go together. And so God has created all of life as worship because he has said, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Well, this morning, we plan to eat and we plan to drink, as did the Corinthian church many years ago. However, we do not plan to eat and drink, as did the Corinthian church many years ago. <laughs> but yet we do, if you know what I'm saying. I trust that the way we eat and drink here this morning will be much different. Because the Apostle Paul says that they're gathering to get, in their gathering together, more harm was being done than good. In other words, they were not worshiping with a, a true heart of worship. Let's note here what the Apostle Paul had to say about their gathering together. Verse 18, he says that he hears there are divisions among you. Uh, verse 19, he speaks of heresies among them. Verse 20, he, he says basically, you think you're gathering to observe the Lord's Supper, but you're not. You're really not. You just think you are, but you're not. Uh, verse 21, he speaks of, of carelessness, of greediness. He speaks of a lack of togetherness. Some are hungry, some are stuffed. There's a lack of sensitivity to one another. Uh, verse 22 he says, you are despising the church of God. And you are humiliating those who have little. The lesson that the Apostle Paul was giving uh, the church there at Corinth 
was that when you come together as a church, the spirit should be one of a focus on the Lord and a sensitivity to the needs of those around you, not on yourself. There should not be this, this careless or, or thoughtless eating and drinking. But there is to be a focus on Jesus Christ. There is to be a love and concern and a gentleness with those around you. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why uh, the way we do communion is so lean. <laughs> you know, Paul said that this eating and drinking was to be completely different from the eating and drinking uh, that we do elsewhere. Uh, verse 22, he said, that's what your houses are for. <laughs> that's not what the church of God is for. He said, do your eating and drinking of that nature at home. The phrase, when ye come together, keeps popping out at me through this passage, or, or some variation of it. Uh, but there in verse 17, we have that, that ye come together. Uh, verse 18, when ye come together. Verse 20, when ye come together. Uh, verse 33, when ye come together. <laughs> and verse 34, that ye come not together. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, of emphasis giving on this thing of coming together. And the implication is that the Lord's Supper is something that is to happen as a gathered church. It's to happen as a whole congregation. This is not something that was intended uh, to be just practiced privately between you and the Lord. No. But instead, it speaks of brotherhood. It speaks of accountability. It speaks of responsibility. It speaks of unity. When ye come together. When ye come together. Well, here's a couple questions that we would like to flesh out this morning. How does our communion service call us to worship? How does our communion service call us to worship? And how does it express our inner desire uh, to give God honor and glory. And I would like to suggest this morning from this passage that we worship Him or we express uh, the worth and the value of Jesus Christ by remembering, by proclaiming, and by nourishing. Remembering, proclaiming, and nourishing. First of all, the communion service expresses the value of Christ by reminding us of Him. Notice the word remembrance that is used twice in these verses. Once in relation to the bread, there in verse 24, and once in relation to the cup, in verse 25. Let me just read those once again, starting at verse 23. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. And I'll just note there, the Apostle Paul was giving direction, not just from himself, but he qualifies what he is saying by saying, Brothers and sisters, this has come from the Lord. Uh, this is not just my idea. This is not just my suggestion. This is the word of God that I have received that I'm passing on to you. And that's powerful this morning. And he goes on to say then, in verse 23, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And we could, 
we could pause and spend time on that as well as we think of uh, the focus of Jesus Christ, as we think of his love and his mercy, his desire to carry through uh, with his work. Verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament or the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. I'm saying that our, commun our communion service expresses the value of Christ by reminding us of him. You know, in other words... Jesus gave us this, this Lord's Supper, as it is called here, to help us keep in mind that great gift of salvation uh, that has been so wondrously given to me and to you. And, and truly, the words great gift are not great enough. I, the Apostle Paul uses words like unspeakable are indescribable. I mean, you just simply can't put words to it when you consider what Christ has done for each of us. Well, we remember His agony. In verses 24 and 25 here, they talk about the broken body. They talk about the blood of Jesus. And certainly both of these phrases suggest suffering. Uh, they suggest pain. They, they suggest agony. And so when we take the bread and we take the juice here in a few minutes, we are to remember that Jesus suffered severely to save us from our sins and to provide peace with God and our fellow men. I just noted some things here as far as what Jesus went through there throughout that day, leading up to his crucifixion, but, but he was spit on, mind you, in the face. Spit in the face. Uh, he was slapped. He was whipped. Uh, he was beaten. Uh, he was mocked. Uh, they placed a crown of thorns on his head, and then they took a rod and hit him over the head. And you can imagine uh, the, the rod hitting on your head would be bad enough, but imagine the thorns between the rod and your head yet as a part of that. Um, and he was brutally crucified. You know, this, this wasn't just your average death, as it were. Brother Dan spoke to us some time ago about the horrors of crucifixion and the fact that it was such a, a terrible way to die. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, even the death of the cross. In other words, what could be worse? What could be worse than death on a cross? Need I say more? There's much that could be said. But yet I just want to take you to Isaiah, a few passages in Isaiah that speak of the agony. Isaiah 52, it speaks of the agony that Christ went through for you and for me. Isaiah 52, verse 14. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred, more than any man, 
and his form more than the sons of men. Uh, prophecies concerning Jesus Christ here, the crucifixion. Uh, chapter 53, starting at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, as human beings, our nature, we didn't, mis- we didn't see that it was for us. Oh, this is God doing this to him. We failed to see that this was for us. <laughs> that, that this was because of you and me. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And note this verse, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. That speaks to me this morning. Jesus went through that and he took it. He opened not his mouth. And how often do I open my mouth on things that are so light and trivial and are just downright foolish? And yet Christ went through all this, this agony, quietly and took it for you and for me. The songwriter said, My precious Savior suffered pain and agony. He bore it all that I might live. The songwriter also says, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, Lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. And the writer there suggests that we must never forget what Christ went through for us. And the way that we keep it fresh in our memory is to take frequent frequent trips to Calvary. (laughs) That's the writer's rendition. Take frequent trips to Calvary. You know, we can, buy, we can buy a plane ticket and we can fly over to that area. We can take a trip in that way. But let me suggest, and, and that might be expensive, but let me suggest that taking a trip to Calvary in this way, in a spiritual sense, is far more costly than any other way you could get there. However, <laughs> it is much, much more rewarding and has great eternal significance unlike any other trip would. Lead me to Calvary. Well, we remember his agony. We also remember the Savior's achievement. Maybe that sounds a little bit light, but yet let's consider for just a moment his achievement. You know, when we take the bread and the juice here in a few moments, we need to remember that not only did the Savior give His life for us, but then three days later, He rose from the grave. 
We serve a living Savior. He's not in the grave anymore. He's a victorious Savior. Praise the Lord. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. I love that, that picture that comes from having the keys of hell and death. Someone that has the keys has power. <laughs> they have authority. They have control. If you have the keys, you have control that those without the keys don't have. And Jesus said, I have the keys to hell and to death. In other words, they're in my control. They're in my power. I've got it taken care of. <laughs> That's the picture that comes to my mind. That's because we serve a living Savior. And truly, it is the reality and it is the power of the resurrection that makes it possible for you and I uh, to live a victorious Christian life here today. And those terms are not just terms that we speak at church. That's not just a pie-in-the-sky idea. That is real, true terminologies that can be lived out in everyday life. We can experience victory. We can say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit of Christ because of the power of the resurrection. I thank God for that. Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's really not me that's living, it's Christ that's living in me. And so this morning, we praise God for our achieving Lord. And we remember in a special way His achievement of victory over the grave. Well, then we also remember His appearing. Uh, verse 26, back in our text there in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26 says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Till He come. Uh, have you ever thought about that one day there will be no more communion services? <laughs> I mean, I, that shouldn't be something that you're necessarily overly happy about. I'm just simply saying, one day there will be no more communion services. Uh, one day there will be no more remembering necessary. <laughs> Why is that? Because one day we will be forever with the Lord, as the Scripture says. There will be no more need to gather here as a church and remember that because we will be in His presence. I'm reminded of the disciples. Back there we have it in the first chapter of Acts. The disciples were left there gazing up into heaven. And those two angels came and they said, What are you doing? You looking for something? They said, This same Jesus who just left in like manner, will one day return again. That was the promise. One day, this same Jesus will return in like manner. But until then, we remember. We remember. In, in fact, every time we observe our communion service, we are, in a way, proclaiming that we believe in a returning Lord. We are stating that in a way that, yes, I believe 
in a Lord that will one day return. Uh, by the way, this is also an incentive for us to, to keep ourselves clean before the Lord. Uh, there in 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 2 and 3, we read this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this truth, I'm sorry, but every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, or even as Christ, is pure. Every man that hath this hope. It's the hope of a returning Lord. Purifieth himself. Uh, that word is one of those progressive words. It, it's, it states that, in other words, it implies that this is not something that we do once and then move on. But it's a continuing process. That we live in a state of readiness. That we are, con we are continually being purified. And we have a desire to keep ourselves clean before the Lord. And so, dear people this morning, if we believe in a returning Lord, then we will live like we are looking for Him. We will live in a way that speaks of His returning. And so our communion service is worship when in the doing of it, there is an authentic heart experience that says, I must remember Christ. I must remember that great gift of salvation. I must remember. I do not want to forget it. I say, this service is worship when in the doing of it, there is that inner desire to remember. Secondly then, the communion service expresses the value of Christ by proclaiming his death. Now, once again, verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And that word show has the idea of proclaiming, uh, declaring, teaching, preaching. It's, it's that idea. Okay, so if, if remembering means calling to mind what Christ has done, and what Christ is doing, what Christ will do, if, if that's remembering, then I would say that proclaiming means telling one another or, or, or calling to one another what Christ is doing, what Christ has done, what Christ will do. Is, is this not what the gospel of Jesus Christ demands of all of us? To share what we've experienced? No, we certainly don't keep it to ourselves but we share with one another, we proclaim it. You know, when the value of Jesus Christ is very real to us, and when it is inwardly remembered, then that inner remembering breaks out into a, a proclamation, into a, a declaration of what we've experienced. Good news is meant to be shared, right? It certainly is. Good news is meant to be shared. In other words, you know, if there is something that is really special to you, or if you really value something that is good to you and that is good to others, then you will share it 
then you will not keep it to yourself. That's the idea here. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye are proclaiming the Lord's death till he come. And so the communion service is worship once again, if in the doing of it, there is that genuine and inner desire not only to remember the work of Christ, but to proclaim it, to tell it. And certainly these two things go together, the remembering and the proclaiming. I mean, remembering helps us to proclaim. We can't, we can't proclaim something if we haven't remembered it, right? And so remembering helps us then to proclaim and, and by proclaiming it, it helps us to better remember it. And so they, they go together. It's interesting to note that within verse 26 is somewhat of a twofold meaning there. We read, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death, first of all, secondly, till he come. And we've mentioned that briefly already. But there's like a double meaning there of communion. Showing the Lord's death and realizing that he is coming again. It emphasizes, you could say, both sides of the Christian life. Uh, the cross and also the glory. Uh, you see, there's so much more to our gathering here this morning than remembering what Christ has done for us in the past. Truly that is important, but there's so much more to our gathering than that. As Christian believers, we meet with great anticipation for what Christ has, has promised to us in the future. As the songwriter said, we have this hope that burns within our heart. It's a hope in the coming of the Lord. It's that anticipation for what Christ has promised in the future. And so, yes, our communion service, it speaks of the death of Christ, but it also speaks of the coming glory that is to be revealed. It's sobering for us to remember, uh, yet it's important, I believe, that only unless we live a consistent Christian life are we truly showing this to those around us. I say that again, unless we live a consistent Christian life, do we really show this to those around us? May God help us to consider that. Well, this morning, we show the Lord's death in various ways. Uh, we proclaim it in the words that are spoken. We proclaim it in the songs that are sung. Uh, we proclaim it in the emblems that are shared, we are calling to each other, as it were, what Christ has done, what Christ is doing in our lives, and what Christ has promised to do for us in the future as well. Finally then, I say the communion service expresses the value of Christ by nourishing our life in Christ. It's a reminder of the nourishment that we receive through Jesus Christ. Now, where do we see this in our text? Well, we can't maybe go to exactly 
one particular verse, but we see it in the fact that this is called the Lord's Supper. <laughs> it's a supper. You see, there's eating and there's drinking. There's food involved here. Now, why are we eating? Why are we drinking? Why didn't Jesus uh, choose some other emblems like a hammer and nails or <laughs> you name it? Why, why is it eating and drinking? And I think that you would agree with me that eating and drinking are necessary for nourishment. Uh, they're necessary for sustaining life. We're well aware of that importance, the importance of eating and drinking. And here in verses 25 and 26, uh, Jesus tells us that the bread we are eating is a symbol of his broken body. And the cup that we will drink from, that is a symbol of the blood that was shed. Now I realize this morning that not everyone uh, in this world sees it as that. Uh, take for example, the Roman Catholics believe that when the, when the priest consecrates or prays over that bread and wine, that it becomes literally the body and the blood of Jesus. And so as they take that, they literally become one with him. Now, that appears to have a number of, of, of holes in it as I look, as I look at it. First of all, as Jesus was sharing that with them and said, this is my body, he was, he was sitting right there uh, physically and in, in, in reality with them. It would be hard to say that and yet say, uh, you can drink and eat me right here. Uh, that would be difficult. Um, but it's simply, it's simply a language thing. Okay, We use different expressions like that. Uh, I could pull out a picture and say, everyone, this is my family. Okay. <laughs> Now, you would all understand exactly what I mean. This is not my family. It's a symbol of my family, okay? And we understand that. And so we this morning believe that the bread we are eating and the cup that we are drinking is a symbol of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's interesting to note, I didn't, I didn't write this down, but in my studying, I read about the, the great controversy that Martin Luther had with Ulrich Zwingli in this exact thing. And, and Martin Luther said, you know, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. And, and Jesus said that, that you must eat of me. And, and you know, he, he took that literally. And, and Ulrich Zwingli said, no, he, he said, Jesus also said that, that the words that I've spoken are, are spirit in their life, you know. Um, and so there was this battle about that, and, and Martin Luther was so, was so strong on the point, he got a piece of chalk and wrote across the conference table that this is my body, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, it created quite a stir. I'm, I'm glad our conference sessions aren't like that. But anyway, we do not see it as that. We believe that this is symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so in eating and drinking, uh, this morning, this is no ordinary eating and drinking, as you well know. Uh, the nourishment that is in the Lord's Supper does not come from the bread and juice. No, not at all. Uh, the Apostle Paul already said that in verse 22 when he said, you need to take care of your physical needs back at home. Don't come to the Lord's Supper with that in mind. So this service is not about physical nourishment. Instead, our communion service is about spiritual nourishment. Uh, 
It's about spiritual enrichment. Jesus said in John 4, 14, as he was speaking there to the woman at the well, he said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then uh, a couple chapters later in John chapter 6 verse 35, in speaking to the Jews there, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You know, dear people, this morning when we see Jesus as the only one who can meet our real longings, the real longings of our heart. And when we come to Him in faith, believing and accepting His great gift of salvation, we will be filled to overflowing. There is a nourishment that happens there unlike any other. Unlike any other. As important as physical food and drink are, what we really need this morning is Jesus. That's what we really need. He alone is the source of true nourishment, the source of true and living health, as it were. And so this morning, as we remember and proclaim that amazing love and mercy of Jesus Christ, uh, we find nourishment and we find the strength we need to live a Christian life. Let me just close by saying that our communion service is worship because it expresses the infinite worth of Christ. No other, no other one is more worthy to be remembered. No one is more worthy to be proclaimed. And no one this morning can nourish our life as Jesus Christ can. May God help us to keep that in focus as we go through this service this morning. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, once again, we come before you this morning with a heart of gratitude, with a heart that, that says thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that great gift of love. Thank you for shedding your lifeblood for us. And once again, we realize that we are so unworthy. But God, this morning, we want to lift you up. We want to give you the, the glory and the honor and the praise that you deserve. We want to value you. And so, Father, I pray that, that inwardly and outwardly this morning, you would be pleased uh, with our worship. You would be pleased with our gathering here this morning. May it remind us once again uh, of, of your great gift of love in sending Jesus uh, to meet our needs. Thank you, Father, for the nourishment that we receive uh, through being one with you. And by believing, by accepting your plan of salvation and the peace that that brings, Father, truly we are a blessed people and we thank you and praise you for that this morning. We pray that our time here could once again remind us of your agony. It could remind us, yes, 
of your achievement, of your victory over death, and remind us once again that you are returning. May we live with that in mind, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.